Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson. How are you this morning? Oh, just fantastic. That's well, amazing. Just doing so well. Um, you know, after having that day without you yesterday, like I was really riding high. Um, but then I walked into the studio, I saw your face, and uh, that high landed. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just it kidding. landed in the promised land. <laughs> <laughs> because Lyle has arrived. No, I went gold prospecting yesterday. Oh, did, did you find any gold? Heaps. Are I you found rich now? So, so much. Um, iron oxide. I should go into the iron oxide business. <laughs> In fact, in fact, I think if I was uh, going into scrap metal, like scrap steel, I would be doing very well right now. You'd be killing it. Found nails all over the place. Oh, really? Oh, it was so much fun. You have yeah. no idea. So gold prospecting, like, did you have a metal detector? Yes. Or... Okay, so you went around and beep, 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 yep. beep, 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 uh-huh. beep, beep, and then you dug up every single beep. Every single nail there was in the world that fell into the dirt, pretty much. That's powerful. Yeah. Wait, where did you go? Uh, we went up to a place near Walker. Oh, Okay. Yes. So that's like up in the in the up bush. in the mountains. Yeah, up, up in, in the, the mountains. mountains. Oh, we were out in the bush. We were. How way come there's so out. many nails up there? Uh, because 130 years ago there used to be a gold mine, and the gold miners used nails, and those nails are still in the ground. True. Yes. Oh, there you go. It's pretty spectacular. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Adoption agencies was the word that I was trying to find there in the pressure of the moment, and just refused. To you, come to mind. It was you were you were. I've, I've turned fifty now. You know, it's just it's my excuse. You were at the precipice. I was at the precipice, and you were about to about to go over, but there was just not enough time. It was not enough. But anyway, so let's have a look at our one hundred point uh, clue for the quiz. Who was the brother of Mary and Martha? Pretty, pretty 100.1 there. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. For 100 points, you can win yourself a Faith FM bookmark and bumper sticker, or you can answer that question, get your points on the board. If you answer every single question correct, you can win every single prize. Uh, but again, that question was, who was the brother of Mary and Martha? Fantastic. All right, very good. Let's see uh, what we've got coming up in the world of positively different news. In the world of positively different news, apparently International Forest Day has come and that day has come and it's passed and we celebrated forests. And that's great. Uh, and I was, I was, I was really- in forest yesterday. Yeah. Forests are good. Dude, I, I would like to be in forests a lot more than I am. Like, yes. because forests are fantastic. Yes, absolutely. I like to live in the forest. Yeah. Like, like the house out in the, in the bush. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Like, really remote, secluded, like... Well, it's a big fire break around it, of course. I'm not like one of these people who wants trees up against the house and then the fire comes through and burns it down. Yeah, true. true. It's just, no, let's be sensible about this, but i uh, love to live out in the bush somewhere. Yeah, 100%. It's my dream one day to live somewhere in the bush. One day I will live somewhere in the bush. Mm. Either on this earth or in the new earth. <laughs> Amen. Uh, well, coinciding with International uh, Forest Days, uh, legislation has just passed in Western Australia uh, that will end native logging, actually, for the entirety of Western Australia, and will preserve 1,500 square miles of native forest there, which is fantastic. Like, because I, I think, like, because, you know, we talk about, like, 
deforestation, cutting things down. Like when, if you have like logging, right? Like, which is like, you know, like forest farms yes. where you plant a lot of trees and then you cut those trees down for wood, uh, which is, you know, a lot of what they do with like the pines in South Australia and yes. whatnot. Like this isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's a renewable resource. It's a renew- absolutely. It's a renewable resource. So that's fantastic. Um, but, you know. It's even better when you plant eucalyptus trees. Yeah, totally. Because they like living in Australia. <laughs> and they don't destroy our soil. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but this is actually legislation that passed to, yeah, this is a, a natural forest in, you know, some surrounding areas around it. Um, it, yeah, it was national park and whatnot, but they were like, oh, this 1500 square mile p- patch, well, it will just cut trees down. Uh, but now they have decided to stop doing that, which is good. This is a good thing. And one of the, one of the, you know, probably 30, 40 years ago, I probably wouldn't have supported this in the way that I do. These days, but the fact is that we only have a certain amount of um, old growth forests in Australia, mm. which once gone cannot be replaced. That's right. Uh, well, in the next hundred years, anyway, and so we do need to be reaching a point where we preserve old growth forests. We can't just be logging them forever, mm. because if we do, we won't have any. So right. there comes a point where it's like, no, we need to move to plantation forests. That is our future. We need to recognise that, and we need to put in plantations and grow mm. trees. And that's good because if you don't cut down the old growth forests, then you can go and camp in them and spend time in them and... Go gold prospecting in them. Go gold prospecting, just have a fantastic time, hang out with all the animals and whatnot that live in there. And, uh, yeah, it's really, really epic. Oh, other epic news. Okay, well, you'll like this, right? Because you like boats, hey? Yes. Boats are cool. Who doesn't? Like, oh, they're so awesome. A Swedish company has created a fully electric speedboat that runs on foils. So there's no wake, there's no noise, and it goes about 20 knots, which isn't crazy fast. Okay, but how does it make no wake? Surely it's got to have a propulsion system somewhere that's going to create a wake. Yes. But only a small one, I But this is the thing, is that wake is created by how much of the the hull hull is in the water. Okay, so this is going to be a wake from the propeller still. Yeah, but like... But that's small. But it's a tiny wake, yes. Because so basically, it's propped up onto you know on these pro- on the uh, on the foils. So it's got like these three foils that are in the in the water. It's propped up on these foils. It's got like the yes, the propeller is in the water, but compared to the whole hull being in the water, and they say they actually remove about eighty that they can use about eighty percent less energy because there's so little drag because there's. There's no hull in the water. Um, but, yeah, this is, like, this is fantastic. This is so cool. Now, for me, though, um, I'm a bit of a wakeboarding fiend. And so to hear, you know, the term no wake as, <laughs> as a positive, I'm like, huh, okay. That's 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 interesting uh, because, you know, usually. So in, in a wakeboarding boat, um, they're, like, big and intentionally heavy. And that's why, like, you have these big, heavy wakeboarding boats and then they put, like, big V8s in them so they can carry themselves around. And then even furthermore, they usually have, like, ballasts in them, like tanks in them that you can fill up with up to, like, a ton of water just so the hull is, like, dragging so hard that you have massive wake. Um, that's in, like, a wakeboard boat. But this boat is completely the opposite. So, like, it's also fantastic, I- I'd imagine, for, yeah, you're, like, you know, driving down like tight rivers and creeks. Like I'd, I'd love to take this thing into like the mangroves or something. I wonder. Uh, I wonder what range does it say? What range it has? Um, currently, uh, the range. Ooh, I'm, I'm just having a look here. Not finding range. It's 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 a great concept, and you know, it's sort of 
Well, hey, you know, hydrofoils have been around for a very, very long time. Mm. I remember when hydrofoils were being used by ferries on Sydney Harbour, you know, back in the day. I wonder what happened to them. They became not economic to use for some reason. The cats became more economic. Mm. So this is an interesting development. Yeah, but I don't know. I just think it's fantastic. I I, I think boats are, are so cool. And you can pick one up for the low, low price of 300,000 euros. Oh, <laughs> and yes. So and there it goes. There, Everything that's, that is super cool is, is also super really, expensive. really expensive. Um, in other news, in other news, actually, this is really cool. This is really, really interesting. I, I read this this morning and I was like, well, some some religious news in the, in the good news section. This is fantastic. Specifically over, I think, um, enabling. This is, okay, this is a new story coming from Australia about a state school enabling religious freedom. So, so think about that. Think about that for a second. Uh, but essentially, uh, a school in far north Queensland called the, uh, actually it has an interesting name. It's called the Balaclava State School. Um, they have seen, you know, they had an empty room. It was a, you know, an old kind of classroom slash storage. It was kind of like on the smaller end. Uh, it was being unutilized. Now thinking about what they should do with it. And they turned it into a prayer and reflection room. Nice. For their local, like, Islamic students. Okay. But anyone can use it to go in and pray. So why specifically, do they have like a majority of Islamic students there? No, they only have a few Islamic students. But you know, like, because like... Why don't they just call it a prayer and reflection room? Oh, no, it's not called a prayer and reflection room for Islamic students. It's called a prayer and reflection room. Yeah, okay. But but it's utilized heavily by Islamic students because... Because they pray five five times a day. They pray five times a day, pointing towards Mecca as they, you know, they uh, they kneel down on the floor... And this is something that they are required to do, like yeah, absolutely, in, absolutely. in private. Part faith. It's part of their faith. Uh, but yeah, it's something that is also yeah done in private. It's like just like I don't know how we pray. Like I spend time at home, you know. I pray in private. I talk to God. Like essentially, they've given the people of faith a space um, to come to pray, to spend time, you know, considering their considering their faith and, and spending time with God, which I think is, is fantastic. Now, the reason I highlighted Islamic students is because this is something that is really necessary for them. It was a, a difficulty that specifically Islamic students, these uh, the few Islamic girls that were going to this school was finding. They were like, oh, where do we go to pray? Where do we go to pray? Because that's a requirement as a part of their religion. But also if you're a Christian student, if you're a, a Buddhist student, if you're, you have a space in which you can go and pray or meditate and or meditate if you're Buddhist. and ultimately to spend time, to spend time with God. Yes. Which I think is fantastic. Like this is, this it is, is this I is, I think it is absolutely sensational. Yeah. This is a, this is a, like a government primary school. Yeah. And they're not, and they're not pushing any religion. That's They're not right. pushing a particular faith. This is not union of church and state. Mm-hmm. This is just allowing students and, in a way, encouraging students to explore spirituality. That's right. By having it there, it's an encouragement that spirituality is a thing, and we should you should you should explore that. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. So I think this is this is really fantastic, and I I think it's a movement that you know a lot of a lot of areas should make um, in supporting people of faith uh, because I th- I see this as true inclusion. You know, we talk about inclusivity. I'm like, wow, giving people the freedom to be able to practice their faith. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
You're listening to Mark Bishop right there with I'm in good hands. It is the breakfast show here on Faith FM. We're about to talk about more positive, more serious news. But before we do, we have we have a question for our quiz. Lawson, what have you got for us? What bit Paul while he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta? Zero four nine one zero six four six hundred. Oh, sorry. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you know the answer. And if you do know the answer, you can win our two hundred. Po- Man, that all just got like jumbled in my brain. <laughs> you can win our two hundred point prize, which for two hundred points you can win an issue of Science Magazine, or you can get those points on the board. Continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, for two hundred points, that question was: What bit Paul while he was shipwrecked? on the island of Malta. Mm, interesting question right there. Let's talk about what's happening with the New South Wales state government. Oh. And, of course, this is a story that I've been following for some time, and that is the Parental Rights Bill. Basically, the Parental Rights Bill is in relationship to uh, sex education mm-hmm. within schools, uh, specifically sex education in, in schools, and it allows parents to withdraw their students from classes where the content is not in alignment with their social or religious views. It gives the rights back to parents to be mm. the primary uh, educators and caregivers of their children, which is, you know, the way it is supposed to be. Mm. That's how, you know, they gave birth to that children. That's their responsibility. And so it doesn't change what cha- what is taught in the schools. It's just like, well, if if as a parent you don't, you, you do believe that your children are not ready to hear about, you know, radical gender ideology or something like that, you are allowed to say, look, my student will not attend those particular classes mm. and you can have a chat with them at home about those particular issues. This is particularly important because uh, the federal government has uh, recently, you know, created a mandate for consent education. Now, consent education, you know, they always give these things a title that or a name uh, that indicates that they are going to, you know, this, this is going to be something good. We want to teach our children about consent. Um, that's that's a good thing. Mm. And uh, but the consent education basically teaches five year olds or children as young as five about sexuality, about sexual practices, about gender expressions, etc., etc., etc. And I'm just sort of wondering in what universe. Do five-year-olds need to be having those kinds of discussions? These Not in ours. Five-year-olds. This is pre-Lego age. Yeah. You know, this is this is matchbox cars and those kinds of things that they need to be playing with. Give them a diversity of toys. Let them play with the toys. Let the five-year-olds play. Mm. It disturbs me a little bit that we have five-year-olds in school to begin with. I didn't go to school until I was eight. Mm-hmm didn't seem to do me any harm. I think children need to be children and we need to allow them to be children and take screens away from them mm. and let them let them just be kids. Yeah. Do not burden them with all of this deep adult information that they are going to have to try and process. And, of course, it all this does is it gives opportunity for pedophiles to have conversations with children about sex and to get off on it and to groom those children for abuse. Yeah, that's right. I think it's it's ultimately it's opening them up to exposure of like yes. two two things that we would consider like you know, if you if you show a child pornography, that's child and abuse. The average age when children start to see pornography is around eight or nine years of age. Yeah. 
But if if you're if you an, show it to them, that's abuse. That's abuse. But if you talk to them, if you show it to them in the context of a classroom, sorry, I, I'm. Keep oh no, no, it's fine. Yeah, I was going to say exactly what you're going to say. Like if if you if you shroud this in the context of of the classroom of hey, this is you know what sex and gender expression is and all of these different things, uh, then obviously like the curiosity the curiosity of the child is going to lead them to search for these things. Because, and I could just speak to that as, as a kid who grew up in the internet age. Um, unfortunately, in my case, in case, it wasn't the classroom. It was my friends on the schoolyard talking about this stuff. And curiosity goes, oh, well, what are you talking about? And, and at an incredibly young age, then you become exposed to all these, yeah, uh, sexual topics and sexual things at a time when you sh- just shouldn't, you just absolutely shouldn't be. Yes. And you're so much better off for not being. That's right, until you are old enough to be able to handle it. There's all kinds of information out there Mm -hmm. that we don't give to children until they're old enough to be able to handle it. That's right. And can we please make the decision that they're not old enough at five years old to learn about consent, sexual identity? Okay, so the New South Wales State Government, and you'd you'd be very surprised with this coming from Perrote, who is a family man and who is a devout Roman Catholic, has decided to withhold support from the Parental Rights Bill. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they should take note of what's ha- what just happened in South Australia because in South Australia they just had an election and the state Liberal government that's just been there one term got booted out. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see one of the big reasons why that happened. Uh, the state Liberal government pushed through an abortion-to-birth bill while they were in power uh, and a lot of people got upset about it. One of the people really? who voted against that is the now Premier. And most of the front bench of the new Labor Party. That's a reversal. That is. But what it does say is this. Labor needs to stop and take note of this. Mm-hmm. Because what it what it reveals is that there are votes from people of faith that they have lost that they can pick up mm. with the right policies. Dude, they put totally. the right policies forward and they're going to pick up those votes of people of faith. People of faith are not rusted on to... Uh, the Liberal Party yes, at all. so true. Mm. And one of the, you know, there were some major campaigns that took place over there which basically published where every single uh, member of parliament had voted, you know, had some conscience votes on these particular issues and those that voted in favour of it kind of got smashed. Those that voted wow. against it are now in power. Wow. So Labor, Labor guys... Take note. Take very careful note. If you want to boot out Perite, there is a way to do so. Maybe support the Parental Rights Bill. Mm. Anyway, while we're talking about religious liberty, we should talk about what's happening in Cuba. Um, And, of course, violations of religious freedom in Cuba doubled last year. Wow. So documented cases went from 203 the year before to 498. That's actually more than double. Uh, considerably more than double. And these included things like denial of religious worker visas, uh, arbitrary detention, threats and harassment, physical abuse, closure of churches, banning from attending church, banning from travel, and loss of employment. Uh, a case in point is Pastor Lorenzo Fajardo, who has been in, in prison since July 11 uh, for speaking out on issues of religious liberty and has received no sentence yet, but the government mm. is asking for a 10-year sentence. So we get upset about, you know, religious liberty and infringement on religious liberty in Australia. Uh, however, you look at some of these other countries and, well, we're, I guess we're having it kind of, uh, kind of e- easy. Mm. 
Uh, okay, text message coming through here from Darren, who is uh, our kind of resident expert on all things children. He says, thanks, Lyle, regarding children needing to play. Spot mm. on. That's what kids <laughs> need to do. Kids need to be kids. All right, we did say that we talk about what was happening in the state of Michigan with child adoption agencies, and the oh, state wow. of Michigan yes. has been ordered to pay a quarter of a million dollars uh, to the Roman Catholic Church because the state of Michigan uh, endeavoured to force them through their adoption agencies to place children with LGBTQ plus homes, mm-hmm. and they refused to based on freedom of religion and liberty of conscience because that's a that's a legislated thing in the United States. Uh, they So they sued the state of Michigan. The state of Michigan spent some time looking at it, realised that this was a case that they could not win. Mm-hmm. And so the judge has stipulated court order, judgment, judgment has been approved by the federal judge on Monday that they are to pay a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000 in legal fees to the Roman Catholic Church. Wow. Yeah, it's a big case right there. And, of course, what happened was that this came down as a result of a decision that had been made in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And when that decision went through the Supreme Court, they're like, okay, this is an unwinnable case now. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we need to settle as quickly and, and as we possibly can. Mm. And so what it reveals about the US, and this is one of the things that a lot of people don't stop to think about, even Americans don't stop to mm-hmm. think about. Everyone assumes the power is with the president. Mm-hmm. The real power in the US is with the Supreme Court. That's right. Where you've got those nine unelected um, justices that they, when they sit on the Supreme Court, they are the ones who interpret the law. Mm-hmm. And interpreting the law can have a lot more power than actually making the law in the first place. Yeah, that's true. Because you can have certain intentions when you make the law, but if it's interpreted differently to your intentions, then it becomes a very different law altogether. Mm-hmm. So this is, the, this is the area in which the power is concentrated. Okay, don't ever forget it and watch it closely. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Before we go to our interview of the day, we have the 300-point question for our quiz. Lawson will bring it to you. All right, for 300 points, what was the name of Isaac's older half-brother? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. And for 300 points, you can win yourself a pocket sermon or you can get those points on the board. Continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, what was the name of Isaac's older half-brother? Well, joining us on the phone, as always on a Wednesday, well, nearly always on a Wednesday, is David Helps. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, gentlemen, and good morning to our listeners again this morning. David, we've got this very serious story that uh, Robbie and Lawson were talking about on The Breakfast Show yesterday uh, about the massive increase in violence in uh, Victoria, in Melbourne in particular, where just as, as an example of one of those issues, stabbings have increased by 50%. And so over the summer, you've got 63 people that went to hospital uh, after being stabbed. Of course, uh, a, a number of them passed away, very sadly. Some other factors coming in there. The age bracket for these victims seems to be between uh, the age of 15 and 30, or victims and perpetrators. Um, long weekends seem to be a bit of a hot spot for it. And this follows a, a pattern of an overall increase in violent crime. What's going on here? Is this something to do with the state of the world, the state of Victoria? 
uh, lockdowns? What mandates? What what is it that is driving such a dramatic increase? I mean, a fifty percent rise is very dramatic. It sure is, and it is really concerning. Um, and it's very easy to you know point to COVID that. Uh, isolated people and, and, and it was interesting that during COVID these uh, uh, you know, statistics were much lower but after COVID uh, lockdown has opened up uh, that, that suddenly increased and it's so easy to say well is this all about uh, COVID and the stresses around that or is it far more a systemic problem in our society. Uh, as a Bible student, uh, it's easy for me to quickly just go to and, and say, yes, violence will increase as we come to the end of this world. But there is um, often the Christians point to that purely as an excuse, and therefore we don't need to make any changes. Now, we live today in a society which has some very systemic problems. One of them is uh, that of the lack of accountability and responsibility, the lack of respect. I'll just very briefly, and we can go back and we can discuss those. Uh, the lack of respect towards others, the inability to really regulate my anger um, when there is a displacement, when there is frustration, easily turn to alcohol and drugs. So self-medication that then therefore leads to further violence. There are some of our cultures, uh, in some of our cultural groupings, where uh, the, the parents do not actually discipline their children and therefore expect society to, to discipline um, there's there's a, a psychological principle that I want to uh, lift out this morning, and that is that there's only one person that I can really change, and that's myself. So whatever the situation is happening in my life, first and foremost, what I find is that people want uh, others to be controlled. I often hear parents accusing society for where their children are at, and therefore it carries over into the, the narrative of how the, the, the kids deal with their own issues instead of realizing that there's only one person that I can really control, and that's myself. Mm. One of the things, you know, I, I guess one of the big issues that comes out of this, of course, is, you know, anger and people letting their anger boil over. And it's revealed in the, in, in the reality that, you know, these are crimes that take place that, that spike over long weekends and they are nearly exclusively between people that are known to each other and family members and so forth, you know, rather than just a criminal going out and, you know, holding up a store or something or other, um, they recorded just a 0.2% in violent assaults against people who were not known to each other, which is a very small incremental rise. So this is this is happening amongst, you know, people that know each other and so forth. And one of the things that you talked about, you know, accountability there a moment ago, one of the things that I often hear are phrases like, you made me angry or you made me so angry, where we blame other people for us being angry. What are your thoughts on that? This is one of the, uh, the, the issues. When, when I was working in the anti-drug field in Cabramatta, that was a, a regular sentence that was used. You know, people are responsible for the way. Change the world around me and then I will be a different person. And that is an actual fact based on a, 
a lie because the only person that I can change, the only control that I had is over myself. And when a situation happened, when uh, frustration starts to build up, and uh, the choice is to either take personal control of myself, and in those cases, often walk away, or ask a person, look, this relationship is too important for me. Would you give me some time? I just need to cool down so that I can process what's happened here, and I'll come back and we can talk it through. Instead of doing that, the the blame is, is given. And what eventually happens in society is that those children that grow up in that kind of environment never learn to have personal accountability and responsibility. And they will push the boundaries, never feeling fully uh, loved and cared for. I, I want to say to our listeners, it is only when a child has got clear boundaries around them that they actually feel safe and loved. Um, they hate those boundaries. They will kick against those boundaries. They will try to push those boundaries. But it is those boundaries that actually tells them that we care enough as parents, enough to put those boundaries down, to make them safe because we love them. What we find in society then is that they try to get um, acceptance in other groups like gangs where they do uh, violent activities hoping to gain acceptance by those individuals. So the absence of a parent or a parent at the weekend that has parents that have worked so hard during the week that they just don't want to, to have the stresses of children around them over the weekend actually releases their kids into the care of society, of, of a community that actually will lead them further astray. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I mean, you know, we look at, you know, the impact of society and how society teaches, you know, it's always somebody else's fault. And I've seen people absolutely shocked when, you know, I've said to them, look, nobody else can make you angry. That's your decision. That's your choice. And and, and one of the things that, and, and it just, it surprises me that they're shocked by that thought because they somehow have been trained that, well, if somebody makes me angry, then it was it was their fault. Um, one of the things that I guess comes to my mind is that character is revealed in times of crisis, not created. And that time of mm. crisis is when somebody antagonizes you and you then have that opportunity to become angry or not. What are your thoughts on, on the concept of character being revealed in, in a time of crisis? And how do we build a character that will be able to avoid getting angry, to, you know, to de-escalate, escape, avoid Violence. The character of a, of a child starts to be formed in very, very early life uh, in their home. And you and I have spoken about these things uh, prior, the absence often of, of a father, uh, the impact that it has on not only, uh, you know, pregnancy, early pregnancy of, of girls, but also the escalation of violence amongst uh, boys. Uh, often that character reflects on how a parent acted towards a child. So uh, epigenetics tells us that the way that the environment in which a child grows up will have between 50 to 80% influence on how that child will actually act out at the time of crisis. So here is a finger pointing back to me as a parent, to us as parents, on how we lay the foundation of the building of character of our children. Because those characters will eventually 
demonstrate, live itself out when crisis comes. I fully agree with you, Law. And uh, we we are dealing here not just, and we are not trying to point a finger, but we are actually dealing with a systemic problem of child rearing and the responsibility that parents have to train up their children for the future. Is there a process? What can we do as far as education goes to be able to reduce this kind of violence? I mean, you talk about epigenetics, you talk about you know lack of parenting, absent parents, parents that are absent even when they're at home. You know, you and I might not be able to solve those issues because we're not raising those children. Is there something that we can do in the uh, in the edu- education sphere to reduce this level of violence? To train up a, t- a child doesn't just take the responsi- responsibility of parent involvement. It's actually a societal uh, involvement. Um, there has been some research in America where uh, all the people in the community where there was a systemic violence in young people and delinquent behavior, and delinquent behavior as well as antisocial behavior, that some older people, after the police actually declared that they'd lost the war on, on, on those kids, all the people in the community went up to the police and said, allow us to work with those kids. And the police commander said, you frail old person, what can you do? Your life will be in danger. And the older person said, a uh, spokesman for the older group said, give us a photograph and the name of a young person each and tell us where they hang out and just leave it. We will, we've lived our lives and we are willing to put our lives at risk. And all that they did, they walked up, they identified the young person, each one had a, had a photograph, each one had a name. They identified the young person, walked up to that young person, and just before bumping into them, they just greeted them by their first name and walked past. The third day when they did that, the beer bottle went behind the back, the uh, marijuana cigarette was flipped away because these young people started, someone took the time to learn to know their name. Now, it didn't end there. After time, the older people would stop and they would start to talk, listen to those young people, engage with them. And within a few months, those young people were back at school. Now, there is so much that society can do if they are willing to be intentional to make a difference. Most of these young people that are involved with violence have a major issue at home. A, a separation of parents or immigration that took place where parents are so busy to try and make a lot that they don't have time for their children or uh, other issues in, in, in their immediate environment and they search for acceptance. But society, if they're not intentional about it, will not be able to give it. But there is a group of other young people that will influence them and will actually challenge them to the negative. What if we, with a natural fact, step in as all the people to make that difference? I find that fascinating. I find that just absolutely stunning that they made this difference just by learning their name, greeting them by name, and it grew from there. And one of the things that you mentioned was that, you know, the beer bottle would go behind their back, the, uh, the marijuana joint would be flicked away, this kind of thing. 
substance abuse is substance abuse playing a significant role in the increase of violence that we are seeing and what can we do in that space first again back to parents to the family home if a parent uses substance at home even recreationally it lays the foundation for a child. When I did my research for my work in Cabramatta, I recognized that there was two societal groupings that actually lays a, a foundation for young people for substance abuse. Number one, parents that actually was very permissive, anything goes. The second one is parents that are highly critical and judgmental towards their, their kids are also laying the foundation for kids to turn to to substance abuse. Um, substance abuse today is often linked to kids trying to to numb their own emotional pain. So when a parent is absent in their life and a parent can be present but constantly on the phone, there's a huge outcry in England because a hospital asked young mums uh, to put away their phones while breastfeeding their children. A, a huge outcry because this was discrimination. What the hospital was saying is that the bonding with that child takes place as the mother while breastfeeding the child or even bottle feeding looks into the face of that child. But if that bonding doesn't take place, that child forever in their life will struggle searching for someone that will bond with them. And that often leads to early pregnancy. It leads to um, substance abuse and all a range of other stuff. Um, there's a lot that we can do to actually curb that. David, we always have we always appreciate what you have to say so much here on the Breakfast Show on Faith FM. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.